0: gentlemen boys and girls and everybody in between
1: he's your favorite mexican-american gemini from south texas it's chibi and she's
0: the lipstick loving salvadorican from brooklyn new york it's rocky and this is words and shit the show where you get to know the person behind the poetry
1: brought to you by right Art out
0: yo rusa Yo, chibi, how are you? Uh, I, you know, we're, we're getting by. Let's be real. You rocking that little maroon cap, though. What's going
2: on? Not <laughs> the homies, man. I'm just happy to be here. Shout out to right about now.
0: Hey, uh, hey, hey,
2: hey. We appreciate y'all. Um, yeah. So you're just just getting by, taking it day by day.
0: I mean, we we doing what we can. Like you know, like let's be honest. Uh, the this past year has been like that. It's kind of like a day by day sort of thing. Uh, for for a lot of us and I've actually been thinking a lot about some of the things um, that we've lost in this COVID world that we're living in. Cause I think mm-hmm. we've, we've gained a lot of really, we've gained some great things that I don't think like, um, like we do Zoom birthday parties, which are really annoying, but also like I've seen my extended family more times in the past year than I probably had in the previous two years because they're just like, get on Zoom. You have no excuse, right? (laughs) Yeah. And I love it. But one of the things that I feel like we lost is this ability to go places, right? Um, And I mean, obviously in terms of travel and things like that, but also to just go places that we would frequent uh, recently that were like the hangout spots. And like, I was thinking of this because I went down to uh, to visit my parents last week, and drove by what used to be a Sonic. Mm-hmm. Okay, and for context, this Sonic was like half a block away from the high school that I okay. that I that I went to. So, like, it's uh, where you ditch. It it was yes, it was the place where you maybe went before school to get the munchies uh, and then came after school to consume the munchies. And, yeah. you know, like it was this hangout spot and now it's a car wash.
2: Uh. <laughs> That's where Joni Mitchell comes in and it's like, Ooh, bop, bop, bop. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> this paid paradise turned into a parking lot, man. I-
0: yeah. And I mean, it's not like from Sonic to a car wash, like I'm not going to call that gentrification, uh, but it is this loss of like a place that like, so many people like cross through so many things happened there. It was like a, mm-hmm. uh, a, a special place for the people of, for the kids of that area more than anything. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, that is now just gone. And like, I feel like a whole yeah. generation of up and coming high schoolers are not going to have, cause there's nowhere else to hang out near that high school. Uh, <laughs> you know? Right?
2: <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know what's funny though is like, if any of the high schoolers happen to like, uh, upon our channel and hear this like they're probably just like whatever old dude we vape like in the party <laughs> like get, like listen here old time no we don't do that anymore I, I mean well besides the say?
0: potential illegal activities that were happening at the sonic it was just also a place to congregate right where yeah. after school before you go home you just you just meet there with your friends you know eat a little something just hang out and do nothing uh and so it's like it had me thinking about these places that we used to go to. Uh, that like, aren't there anymore, whether they're not there anymore, because they are physically not there or because they've just changed so much that they're not what they meant to us. I don't know what kind of places do you have that it's like you wish you could go back to visit. But even if you did, it wouldn't be the same. Um, so
2: like, uh, during some of my formative post high school years, because I graduated like at 17, it was weird. Um, Mm -hmm. I worked at a Burger King, and all my homies worked at the Burger King, and everyone knew to find us at the Burger King. Maybe doing illegal activities, maybe not. But it was also a way to sort of like tell my folks, like, "Oh, I'm closing tonight." Like, even though I'd get off at nine, and then just be there till like four in the morning, <laughs> and, you know, drink Mad Dog 2020 and all that other young people stuff. And it was just, I, I, I guess like that doesn't exist anymore. Like the place still exists, but now it's just. You know, it's it's just a regular Burger King that children demolish.
0: <laughs> yeah. Uh, it is so interesting to me how like a lot of memories are rooted in place. I our identity, our culture too is very rooted to to place where we come from, the places that we we frequent, the places that we visit, um, and how that has just kind of been stripped away from us and like all all we have is our our homes right now. You know, and if you out there living the wildlife.
2: I'm double vaxxed, and I have been getting into it. I, that's, and, and it's been weird, though, because I, so full disclosure, I did hit up Chibi on Sunday and was like, yo, karaoke's available. How you feeling? And he was like, no, not now is not the time yet. And that's totally cool. I I totally respect that. And, you know, he's not the only person who feels that way. I've been going out a little bit, but I've also been very careful as to where I go. And it's really mm-hmm. just... The bar up the street where there's like eight people and they're all you know very far away from each other
0: yeah <laughs> yeah look i i feel that uh i think and t- where we're slowly creeping our way into being able to ha- inhabit other spaces and places that is not our our home um and if anybody's watching right now that has like a favorite place that they like can't wait to get back to like drop that in the comment section we're watching the comment section we want you to be part of this conversation um but yeah, karaoke was just a little a step, a step too far. Like an, an open mic maybe, cause you know, we're poets, right? Yeah. But karaoke, there's a lot of spittle that happens at karaoke. Oh, yeah. So I don't think that's a place that I'm ready to frequent or to create new memories in just yet. Cause they yeah. may not be the best memories.
2: Totally, totally get it. I get it. But I, I also agree with this idea that like, there's a lot of p- bars or, or just places that we used to frequent that I don't see the same as anymore. Like mm-hmm. I, I went to like a Walmart recently and it's just, it's tense and it's, and I, everyone's doing what they're supposed to do, but still I'm just like, why do I really need to be here? Like, yeah, and I, just, I just, I really grade a lot of places based on like, do I really need to be here? And Yeah. You
0: know, so and I, I just, th- and, and I think that brings up, you know, the idea of, of, of archivalness, right? And the idea of like, how can we like cement and solidify these, these spaces and these places in a point in time? And poetry is such a fantastic avenue and tool to be able to do that, to archive moments in time that are rooted in time and space and place. Uh, and our feature tonight, our guest is one who has done that phenomenally well, especially in her newest book. So I can't wait to get into this conversation with our guest tonight, who is none other than Claude Cardona. Claude Cardona is a poet born and raised in San Antonio, Texas. She received her BA from St. Mary's University and her MFA in creative writing from Texas State University. In 2013, she co-founded Chiflada Zine along with Laura Valdez, a zine that highlights creative work by Latinas and Latinx people. In 2019, she co-founded Infrarrealista view a literary journal for all types of texts and writers with Linda Rivas. Vasquez, she eh, loves music and film as much as she loves poetry. She's an aspiring DJ and cultural critic and her latest bo- uh, publication, her chapbook, What Remains, was the winner of the Fall 2020 Host Publication Chapbook Prize. Y'all throw some love in the comments section. Help us welcome to the Words and Shit stage, Claude Cardona. Hello. Hey. Hi. So happy
1: to be here. <laughs>
0: We're happy to have you. How are you doing? How you're looking fantastic and very well lit, which I appreciate. I, yeah,
1: it's, um, I got this like really cool light from um, San Antonio Furniture Finders. They have like such cool like mid century modern stuff, and I I saw it immediately, and I was like, I need that. And the plus is it has really good lighting when I'm doing my little videos for my <laughs> uh, classes or whatever I'm doing. So it worked out. It worked out. <laughs>
2: Excellent, excellent. Well, we really appreciate having you here. Uh, one of the first things we really like to ask people the very first question is, because all the guests who come here, we, we acknowledge as friends and as peers and as poets, but we always like to check in first. So how is your heart today, friend?
1: Mm, that's a good question. Um, it's good. I think um, the cold weather is very healing for me. Um, the rain too. I mean, I didn't see it physically come down, but just like knowing it was there in the morning put me immediately in a good mood um, so overall I'd say a good day it's Thursday so you know it can't be bad tomorrow's Friday looking forward to it so yeah I'm doing good good
0: uh, we're good and gearing up for the weekend, whatever that means to people these days, yes, but it's still the weekend. It's still the weekend. Yes. <laughs> and I think that has, uh, there's there's an emotional tie, historically an emotional tie to the weekend. So mm-hmm. good to hear that you're ready for it. Um, well, let's start off uh, before we get into the poetry, because we definitely want to get into the poetry. Uh, there, We like to do a little segment so that the audience, in case they don't know you, they can get to know you a little better before we mm-hmm. dive in. Um, And I think uh, this is another good point to mention to the audience, if you're watching live, use that comment section to ask your own questions, okay? If there's something you wanna ask Claude, throw it in the comment section, because we will ask it. Uh, But this opening section is called speed dating, okay? So we're gonna give you a series of questions and you, just to get to know you, and you feel free to answer as in-depth or as concisely as you feel is necessary to answer the question, okay?
1: Sounds good.
0: All right, so first question. And this is an interesting term that I heard today that uh, I was like, oh, okay, let's go with it. Um, What is an organizing principle in your life? Which is to say, like, what is like a common thread that ties together everything you do and how you do it?
1: Mm, um, That is a very good question. I don't, I'm. I feel so disorganized and disconnected in my life right now, but um, honestly what connects me currently I would say is just like my keeping up with like my spiritual practices and like tying that into like my day. Um, You know it's not like a I guess get up in the morning do it and then like it's over it's just like kind of like throughout the day and that kind of ties my practices together. I'm just putting that like kind of intention into things I do, I feel like is important to me. And I often forget, but I try to. So I would say that's that's my current organizing practice. Okay, okay, very nice, very nice
2: (laughs) question for you. Um, What's something magic about San Antonio?
1: Mm. Oh, as much as I was like, Uh, bashing the summer before this I feel like just like the feeling of like a summer night in San Antonio especially like just walking around um parts of the river walk like at night and like um the distant sounds of like the city too like just like music coming from like someone's car um or like hearing like a Theo or Thea like laugh somewhere in the distance that's what the magic is of San Antonio to me. Mm,
0: I love that, especially because like San Antonio is, is, is really the largest small town in the country. Uh, really? And so no matter kind of where you are, it does still have this like small town feel of like, you're just hearing random people just live their lives and not mm-hmm. the chaos, right? Especially at night. I love that. Okay. Here's my favorite question to ask. What is your favorite dish?
1: Ooh... My favorite dish? I would say my go-to answer is probably pad thai, um, but it changes. But that's been a solid one for like a few years, so. Do you
2: have a, a specific place you like to go for pad thai?
1: Um, I really like um, Phokim Long's pad thai. I like the one from, I haven't been to, um, uh, there's this Thai place, uh, I forget what it's called. And it's like really good. Um, And it's like really small Mm -hmm. and it's always packed. And I haven't been like since the pandemic started but it's like amazing and I love their pad thai. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, Okay.
2: right on. Um, Last question. What is your current pop culture obsession?
1: Ooh, okay. So. I am currently watching Gilmore Girls for the first time, and I've never watched it. Uh, I've like somehow managed to avoid it for this long, so I'm watching that, and I'm also listening to a podcast about Gilmore Gilmore Girls called Gilmore Guys, where they go through each episode. So I'm just like consuming a lot of Gilmore content all around. And it's like, not even that good, but there's parts of it that I kind of just love because it's like a show that references so much pop culture in it. Um, yeah, that's that's my current thing right now. I have no comment on that. <laughs> <laughs> when Gilmore
0: Girls <laughs> was going on, I, w- I was a punk rock hardcore kid. So it was yeah. like the antithesis of everything that Basically. I needed in my life. Just, Basically. Um, <laughs> But there is something to be said about these kind of like little guilty pleasures that you just like, yeah, assume this. Why? Because I like, I'm back yeah. into Grey's Anatomy and I don't know why, no, but I much. am.
1: <laughs> no, so. I'm like that show, I'm like 13 seasons in and like, I, I'm at a point where I'm like, should I continue? I've been this far already, but also. When is Shonda gonna stop? Like, please, (laughs) I can't. How many more people is she gonna kill off? Like, I just don't know anymore. But I feel like shows like that are like, at least for me, they're like so important right now because I just need like kind of bad TV um, or just like melodramatic TV. So like before Gilmore Girls, it was the OC, which I've never seen. Um, Um. I'm like, it's like teen dramas like that. I'm on my like second, or no, my third Sex and the City rewatch. And it's so painful sometimes, but I just, I love it. So those have been like really essential for me, like while I'm grading or doing whatever, like on weekdays and stuff. So, Yeah.
2: OK, OK, well, that was just a, uh, a little taste of Claude, and we're uh, going to definitely ask more questions later. But uh, we would like to give it over to you to kind of share some poems with us. Before we do that, I just want to let all the audience know that uh, to use the comment section, uh, show some love, give some virtual snaps, uh, or if you have any questions or like something you hear, go on ahead and quote it and let us know. But we would like to pass over uh, the stage to you, Claude. Please share us some
1: more. Cool, cool. OK, so I'm going to read. Um a couple of poems maybe three actually from my book what remains um my grandma is on the cover of this and uh i just really love how host publications put the book together um so this came out in october and um it's mostly just about the city about um pop culture about my experiences of just growing up and trying to love myself, uh, trying to, I guess, form a secure attachment to myself, um, build confidence and and, uh, navigate different relationships in the process. So the first poem I'm gonna read is titled Parachute um, and it's inspired by a poem by Carrie Fountain called Yes. I am done with always wishing things were different. Laying in Soul Park with a friend, our hangovers throbbing in sync. Done lying when someone asks me if I've listened to the album they're talking about. Done with trying to be cool when all I want to be is nice. Done with heartbe- heartbreak gumbia circling through the edges of my body the sort of dance that keeps all the neighbors up at night, done with feeling ashamed of how I love. When I do feel ashamed, I remind myself of what my writer friend once told me, us Mexicans love violently. I remind myself of what Sandra Cisneros wrote, you bring out the Mexican in me, the hunkered, thick, dark spiral I remind myself of what Gloria Andalduo wrote. Roses are the Mexicans' favorite flower. I think, how symbolic, thorns and all. I know exactly what they meant. I love like an ancient Mexican obsidian mirror, like metallic fringe at a car dealership, like a rainbow parachute on a schoolyard, how it's pitched upward and swells with air. The sky becomes a color wheel, the child's heart a frenzy. Okay, so the second poem I'm gonna read um, is titled "Bride." Um, it went through like a lot of revision. Um, totally different poem. It's like one of those that it's like unrecognizable now <laughs> from the first draft and. Um, just all about my kind of journey with mental health and self-love, so. Some days stretch out before me, like a drive on I-35, where it is just me, my thoughts and the darkening horizon swallowing up the distance. My indigo seeps through my brain and I can't think of anything except how trapped I feel in this life this body, this face, I am trying so hard to love. I go on walks with headphones in and hope the heat pushes out the sadness. Sometimes it works. Sometimes I am still stuck with all of it. I want to try hard to make perfume out of this life. I carefully pluck the brightest petals of my front lawn amapolas, and crush them up with cinnamon and vanilla. And when I finally get the mixture right, I throw my liquid bouquet to the air like a bride, ready to find joy in the tree turning neon under street light. The moths of barbecue pits I can't see, but I can smell. The midsummer Saturday spent eating watermelon. My legs crossed on floral sheets the white bull collecting seeds, while a sad French woman wanders through the streets on my TV. Yes, this is what I want to celebrate. The food, the movie, and even the stubborn fitted sheet that has come undone once again. Okay, I'm gonna read one more poem. So this last one is titled, To Be Seen, and it's dedicated to um, my good friend that I met in the MFA, Juanilla. It had taken me so long to bury the feeling of wanting to slip out of my skin like a sundress. The feeling returned when I went to art school. It wrapped itself around my spine while I talked to East Coast white boys like to remind me that my body is not treated like theirs and how badly that makes them feel. Guilt oozed from their pores like sap from maple trees. In those days, I sat by the black pool of approval, dangling hesitant feet, like summers before I knew how to swim. For two semesters, Linda and I reassured each other we weren't crazy. We were mostly angry that our anger was the coin that activated the stereotype machine. Now, when I think of those years, my mind acts like a sieve, pocketing tumbled gems into blue velvet bags. Sometimes the bad parts seep through like rainwater collecting in plastic buckets. I still dream about furiously running bleach in my hair As if I could coax self esteem out of damage. But when the sea works right, I remember the nights Linda and I walked to CVS on our study breaks, buying candy and orange juice, our long shadows in parking lot light, cracking open plastic seals while we remember, while we remind each other of what it feels like to be seen. Thank you for listening. Letting me share
0: those poems with you. Applause, applause, applause. Yeah. Thank you for sharing those poems. Just like, of mm, course. I like how they, how they, how they just kind of like ground you and sit, you know, and really just like timestamp these moments that you, that you paint so beautifully. Um, yeah. I want to I want to start by asking about this concept of place because like I noticed in in those poems like you mentioned Sewell Park you mentioned uh, you, you name drop I thirty five I read your poem about Corpus Christi um, the the title poem What Remains is very much about like where your parents came from and and the places that you grew up in. Um, and even your dad, who is a poet as well, like writes a lot about like Alice, Texas, and like where where it comes from. Like it's it's all kind of grounded and anchored in this idea of place, right? Like, why do you feel like place it has such a rooted influence in your work, or is important to poetry in general?
1: Yeah, I love that question. Um, So I think it's totally tied to just my relationship with San Antonio growing up, which was I very much like just thought it was lame and wanted to go to Austin and was like, oh, like that's where all the cool stuff is. Um, There's nothing here. Um, And then it wasn't until I like had my kind of uh, cultural awakening in my like, um, when I was like 17 or 18, and I was like, oh wait, there's like such cool art and like poetry here that like no one ever talks about or like that I never learned about. Like I had to seek it out on my own. And then I started to ask my like father and my mom to, and you know, they had all these books and like these um, like like friendships with people that I was like, oh, like you're friends with that person? Like that's so cool. Um, And so like once I embraced that part of myself and, uh, kind of, and started writing poetry, like it was around that same time too, um, I felt like I needed to to mention place. And I think in particular, because um, I was so like, before I like really got into poetry and wrote like occasionally in high school, was so like vague, cause I was like, oh, I want it to be universal. I want everyone to relate to it. So I'm gonna make it like, you know, as vague as possible. And they were really bad poems. Um, <laughs> and then, um, I think it, my father like told me some quote and I forget who it's attributed to, but it's like the, um, like the universal is in the particulars and that always stuck with me. Cause at first I was like, I don't know, what, like, I don't know what that means really. And then like, as I started to read more, I was like, oh, okay, like I can relate to like poems by Frank O'Hara who like talks specifically about New York. Um, and I wanted to like treat San Antonio in that same way, where it's like um, talk about it in a way that like someone lives here would to like someone else who lives here. Um, but the things that are discussed in the poem, like you don't need to know the location to like know what I'm trying to say. Mm-hmm. Um, but I feel like it does it does ground the poem, like it grounds me in it. It like feels honest to my experience. Like it it feels wrong for me to like take that out of the poem sometimes. Um, it feels like I need to, it also feels like I just wanna like archive those places sometimes if they are pl- places places that are like lost to time or just transformed um, in the past like decades in San Antonio. Um, that's yeah, the, you mentioned my poem, what remains the title poem. And I think I was thinking a lot about like my experience as a teenager, like growing up and uh, going to like Southtown and stuff on Fridays. And, um, even from like my, like experience in, in my high school years, like to now it's like so radically changed so much. And I just think of like, Oh my God, like in another 10 years, it's going to change so much more. Like, and like we need to, I don't know, archive it in some way, take photos or make art about it. Um, I think it's like Ana Fernandez that does like a lot of paintings of like places in San Antonio, just like random places, buildings. And I like love that because it's like, yeah, we need to like preserve stuff like that because who else is going to do it? I don't know. Um, so yeah, places like been very important to me and um, it's funny, I've like never really thought about like I'm aware of the fact that my father write, writes a lot about place, but mm-hmm. it's like his main thing, right? And I like never really saw that connection <laughs> between my work and his like, <laughs> now, I guess. Um, but yeah, he like, right, I mean, and his town was like, you know, so small and like his experience was so different, you know, like he grew up during like segregation and like, like 1950s, like Texas, like, Um, his mom was, like, illiterate, like, his experience was very particular, and, like, is worth writing about, and, like, I feel the same way about, like, my work, because I didn't really see it, like, anywhere, um, and the way that I, I guess, experienced my, like, place and identity and stuff, so that's why it's so, like, I think, crucial to my work, and to poetry, like, in general, like, um, I think it's Carrie Fountain that has, like, a a lot of references to like New Mexico where she grew up and Austin, she like mentioned certain things and it is a really good way of grounding the work without like, I don't think it alienates readers. It, it definitely at least doesn't alienate me. Um, so yeah, I think it's, I think it's a cool thing to do. Yeah.
2: No, one hundred percent. Like, yeah, I completely agree with you. Um, and like I love Frank O'Hare too, and it's this it's the same thing, like how he makes New York uh, this really interesting place to be. Um, and I don't know, like I think Texas is unique in that sense because like I think oftentimes when they people the literary world at least thinks of Texas, it's usually like Western cowboys and shit and not mm-hmm. urbanscapes that are Very unique compared to the rest of the country, um, whether it be Houston or Austin or San Antonio or even Dallas. Um, I guess my question for you, though, is kind of bringing it a little bit back to this idea of places. So, you earned your MFA in creative writing from Texas State University. And how far removed from San Antonio life and culture and literature was that experience? And, like, did that help, like, being in a program there with other writers? um, Kind of Give you a like, make you think back on San Antonio, or how was that?
1: Yeah. Um, so yeah, I went to Texas State, and um, my program was three years, and I um lived there for all three. But the first year, it feels like I didn't even really live there. I would like go to class, and then the next day, like, go home. Like, I would just spend like half of the week. In san antonio pretty much so just, like <laughs> it was not vibing with the whole situation it was just like a new place it was like the first time i was living outside of like san antonio and i didn't know anyone so i mean there was like not a lot to do most of the stuff in san marcos like at that point that i knew it was like all like chain restaurants and like a few like little cool places but I didn't have like anyone to to go to those places with for the most part. So I was like, well, all my like people are in San Antonio. So, Um, so I definitely did not like seek out community in my program or anything until like my second year. Um, And I was also just like on the defense immediately. I was like, oh, like they're all like from Denton or from like Wisconsin. There's like a lot of Midwestern like men in the program. I'm, I'm not sure oh. why that is, but interesting thing, thing. They're mostly from like Wisconsin or like, um, well, there's some like East Coast um, people too, but um, yeah, it's just like really weird. It's a really weird spot and like just, I don't know, San Marcos too. It's like a weird environment. Um, so I felt like removed at first, um, but once I started to like connect to other poets in the program, so my first workshop was with, um, I had. Melanie Robinson in it and she's from San Antonio and i had never met her before and so then we like connected and started uh, we worked on like a a project together immediately before we were really friends and um and we like just cultivated really close friendship and um so that was nice and like from there like felt more connected to some of the the folks there to like the first people I met in the program immediately they were like like the two brown people like in the whole room <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um and Marilis and they approached me and they were just like hey like you know if you like I've actually submitted you published my work I was like what and they were just like okay like here's our program like this is what it's like here are like our experiences with our professors like and they were fiction so it was a little different um and they dealt with different faculty and just like workshop experiences. But um, so I already like knew what the environment was gonna be like. And Mm. I read that article that came out like that same year by um, Sada Rafael Garcia about like her experience in the MFA at Texas State. And she had like an awful experience and like there's no visiting writers of color. And just like she had Mm. like a professor tell her that um, like, Chicano literature wasn't real literature or something. Um, And just like pigeonholed her into like magical realism. And I was just like, what am I getting myself into? Like, Mm -hmm. I don't know. Um, And just like, I feel like I kind of just like faked it throughout college. Like I had a hardcore imposter syndrome because I would just like do my essays last minute all the time and manage to like get through. So I was like, how am I going to like do grad school? I don't know. So it was hard. It was like a really big adjustment. And, but that first year, like I was very much connected still to like San Antonio and would go to events. And there was like a lot of stuff going on that year. I had like a zine release, I think the next year. And like, I was part of Luminati in like 2017. So those were things that like kind of tied me back and that kept me there. Mm -hmm. Um, But then I like, you know, started to kind of connect more to people in San Marcos found out like about, different like communities there in the city like that were local to the city and like cool things going on and so i felt like more connected and by the end of my like experience i like really love san marcos um and I miss it a lot um, sometimes, Um, but it's so transitory for like everyone. I mean, everyone's like a college student that lives there pretty much. So um, it's really hard to like forge those connections with like people because most of the time they leave after they graduate. So, Um, but that's where I met also my friend Juania who I co-founded Infra Release the Review with and um, and that was like awesome. And we just like kind of commiserated over like, <laughs> with, like our experiences. We would like, we would just make jokes. like, oh yeah, let's, let's, let's tell them. Cause no one knew what like blood in, blood out was. So we were, like, let's just tell them like our cousins were in the movie. We'll be like, yeah. <laughs> like, let's them. And we were just like talking like Chicano accents, like exaggerated ones on purpose. Like, and um, kind of like perform our our identity as a way to like, uh, (laughs) I don't know, like deal with like the trauma of just like not having like a real, like I guess community where we were familiar with. Um, And so it was a very uh, interesting experience, like ups and downs, but I am like thankful for the people that I met there that are cool and amazing and um, like still felt connected to San Antonio This is all like pre-pandemic, so I still could like go to events and stuff. And like, Mm -hmm. like the Zine Fest and um, I think it was like Chingona Fest one year. So -hmm. I would like go to that stuff to feel like connected. And I would just always advocate for San Antonio. I was like, y'all are always going to Austin for events. Like that would always be on the calendar, like that they would give out to the MFA, like all these upcoming events at like, you know, book people and stuff. And I was like, there's also this stuff like going on, like no one ever acknowledges, like, you know, it's, it's um. It's just as close as like Austin, pretty much, and like there's so many poets here, like locally, and like so I would always like try to tell them, you know, to to acknowledge that and and uh, just try to expose them to different things because like we're like you know the program was in Central Texas, like it's important to like know <laughs> who the yeah. regional poets are of that area, um, yeah,
0: yeah, that's that's so real, like. I, I was never made to feel as non-white American as I felt as when I first like went to college in Austin where I was like, wait, what do you mean? I'm not like the rest of y'all, you know? Like, mm-hmm. with, and, and Austin's a very diverse city, but still it's, it still felt very much like, but you're not one of us, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, and having to carve that path. Um, Cause I grew up in Laredo. So like four hours was not the easy, hour drive from San Marcos to San Antonio, right? Yeah. Um, but it's so, it's so interesting to hear you uh, you say how, like, you kind of had to, like, come back home, and then also bring some of home to San Marcos to kind of, like, illuminate the fact that, like, there are many voices in this, in this state, for one, right, that, yeah. that are different from what is being taught in academia. Um, and I want to get into that and how, like, you've, kind of like elevated the voices, especially those outside of the MFA world in a moment. Um, and as well as your books, we have a great question in the comments about your book, but before we get into that, you know, you like you did go through this MFA experience, like what are some of the biggest takeaways from that program or from academia, uh, from that world that you were able to bring with you uh, into everything that you've done since then that have really benefited you in some way?
1: Yeah. Um- So I think that um, honestly, just the amount of time I had for just reading, we would have to read like so much for workshop or just for my classes, like um, a variety of texts. And a lot of time, I honestly would not have time to finish them, like finish a whole novel in a week, like I on top of everything else. I don't know. And I can't pick it. Um, So There was like you know things I didn't read um as much as I wanted to but it did give me a lot of time um for that and like my one of my mentors who was in the Texas State program he's also my boss later on he was like just take this time to read as much as possible like that's what you're like here for like and I I didn't take advantage of that um people always associate like oh you'll never have this much time to just like write um but I don't think that's true because I did a lot of writing like before and after my MFA and there was like, you know, so many other like essays and like things I had to like write and work on during my program that like writing like sometimes and oftentimes didn't feel like a priority. Mm -hmm. Um, So definitely like just the kind of continual reading. I, I try to like just, Keep up with that. Like it's really kind of exposed me to like all sorts of different like voices and people through that program, and just like the assigned reading, um, also like theory and stuff I wouldn't normally read on my own. Like I really value during that program, um, and seeing like the workshop model too. I think um, I'm interested in like doing more like community workshops. Like that's a goal of mine, um, and I look at the MFA workshops as like an example of kind of like what not to do or like what I wouldn't want. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was like just like I don't know, and like knowing like how to navigate certain situations. Um, yeah, I think I think those are like the main takeaways I I took from that program, and also just like knowing. Like who my audience was too, um, and Mm. know like kind of cultivated. It made me like think about like okay, like who am I writing for, and like what am I trying to get out of like showing this poem to like this workshop in particular, where like I was oftentimes the only like person of color or like one of two people um, Mm. in that classroom, and like I just really had to sit with things like that and like think about place and references because I would often get critiques of like oh I don't know this reference or like I've never been to this place so it kind of like alienates me a little bit and I always like kind of push back at that. So it kind of like it helped me like articulate why I did the things I did in poetry. It um,
2: mm-hmm.
1: was useful, very useful because um, without that, I don't think I would have really investigated like those choices. So um, that was like a really good um, kind of exercise, annoying sometimes, but um, (laughs) ultimately good good exercise Uh, to do that.
0: I love that. And I also love the, I took away what I wouldn't do when I'm doing (laughs) these things, like so valuable.
1: Uh
2: huh. Uh huh. Yeah, because it seems like they like insert, and I've heard MFA horror stories from like across the country from people I know, and it's just always interesting to hear. I think that's a common denominator where it's like you. There's a traditionalism to it. There's a sort of um, like a pathway to success that they kind of show you, but then you. got I think you specifically, and one thing that I've noticed about you as a writer is that it's like, um, and I and me and Chibi can relate. Is like we. Know where to perform our work, like we have audiences. Like you performed at like La Botanica when it was around, R.I.P. La Botanica. But oh, yeah. um, you know, like places where where you could have like you know hundreds of people in in, in a reading and sell your own zines and you know uh, get followers and do non traditional methods. Uh, so I completely understand, like totally, what you're what we're getting at with that because they kind of like, well, that's not real. It's like, no, it's real. Um, <laughs> And when it comes to like what remains, um, which won the fall 2020 host publication chat book prize. So congrats on that. Um, now that you're kind of in this published world space, it, I, I, like this is one of the reasons why I love the show is because we get to talk to people at different points in their careers and their lives. And I mean, from Ching, uh, 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 to, Zine, to MFA programs to now you have this published work like how how do you feel about it? what's the process like what what do you what are you going through
1: yeah I, uh, it's uh it's really weird it still doesn't feel real to me like it feels fake and i think it like doesn't help that it happened during a pandemic so i couldn't have like a in person like book launch release cuz i kept mm-hmm. on just picturing like oh my gosh if this was in person like like all my friends would be here and then we would go like, do karaoke somewhere ideally um and then just see what happens after that like that would be my ideal situation but obviously you know it was like through zoom i was like at my parents house so like they were there they were like watching me while i was performing um and then like you just kind of it's like that weird thing of like you get on like a video call and then like everyone says bye and then you're just like a, like alone again um with like your computer <laughs> and it's like <laughs> I don't know. It it just makes things a little surreal. Um, yeah. and so yeah, I think like um I like knew I wanted to publish it and like I could see I was like, you know, gonna work on that after I like did my MFA. Um and I made like a list of like three presses. I was like, okay, these are three like I would like to like ideally get published by um that I feel like I have a fair chance at. And host publications was like one of those three and I like it just I didn't even like really seek it out really it just like happened like all of a sudden like it was like they they released an anthology and asked me to contribute a few poems and they were like actually we want like four of your poems we love your work and I was like cool and um When I went to the launch, that was like one of the last things I did pre-pandemic. It was in Austin at Malvern Books. And I talked to Anar who runs, -runs, co-runs host publications. And she was like, oh, do you have like more work? Like, I would love to read your manuscript. And I was like, okay, I will send it. And then like two weeks after that, she was like, oh, we would love to like award you this prize. Um, Like you should submit to it. It's um, our chapbook prize. And I was like, okay. So I like refined like my thesis and like kind of went through that process of taking out stuff. And um that was like in March, April ish of last year. And so then like for the rest of the year until October, just worked on revision and like kind of just going through that whole process. And it was just like it just didn't feel didn't feel real. Like I was like, how did this like happen? Like when did <laughs> this all start? Like I don't know. Um but it just feels like, I don't know, um, I'm excited to be published, obviously, because I've always wanted to, but also because um, I feel very passionate about, like, other writers getting published and, like, showing them how to, and Mm -hmm. uh, Post Publications is, like, based in Austin, so that was, like, important to me, too, that it was, like, somewhere in the southwest, in, like, Texas, somewhere close to San Antonio, so... Um, run by like two women who like only publish like women and like non-binary people so um, that was like it all kind of just lined up and um, now like that I'm a teacher I like love just like sharing my book for that reason like hey like I'm a published like writer like I can show you how to get published too like let me like see your poems and they're like what like miss I'm gonna read your book like oh my gosh and I'm like that's that's awesome because I like want you to feel, firstly excited about poetry, but also like, I wanna show you that it's like possible to happen like, like a poet from San Antonio, like can get published and have been, there's like a whole history that, you know, like we just, they haven't really, we never really like teach those poets really. Um, at least in my experience, like I went to private school and like, I'm we just learned like, I don't know, Scarlet Letter, Emily Dickinson, both text by people I love. um, But, like, I just feel like it's also important to, like, teach locally and show, like, that it's possible that, like, someone like you can get published and, like, win an award or, like, you know, um, it doesn't have to be this, like, foreign thing that only happens to people in, like, New York or LA. Um, So that was, like, like I was excited to be published for those reasons. And just like, you know, with Chiflada um, I published like Latinas and Latinxes that um, submitted to me. And a lot of times, like they, um, oftentimes it was like their first time getting published. They're like, oh, I don't really write poetry, but like here's something, or I don't know if this is a poem. And it was just like a joy to give that like privilege of printing something, like putting someone's words onto like print and, and like showing them copies and like, giving them copies to share with their family, like that was very special to me. Um, and it is still very special to me to continue to do that work. Um, yeah. So it's been like a crazy, crazy, just like few years. Um, I wasn't expecting it to happen like so fast after the MFA, but I feel like it all lined up well. And um, it kind of feels like just, I'm at a place where I feel like I'm at a fresh start. Like all those poems were like mostly like, from my MFA thesis and even before that. And so I feel like, okay, like I've gotten all through like all of that and like, I'm ready to write, like to live more so I can write like new poems about Um, like all of that, you know?
0: I love that. And I feel like in, in that you answered uh, a lot of what one of the audience members was asking. They asked, you know, how long did it take you to write it? What was your biggest inspiration? Your driving factors that kept you going back to this book? So I feel like you, you touched on on all of those questions. Uh, so thank you for, for all of that. Uh, and for those that don't know, uh, Host Publications is, is a publishing press that specifically publishes work uh, by women, non-binary people, people of color in the LGBTQ uh, community but their chat book competition is specifically for women and non-binary people. Those are the only authors that they'll publish in their chat book competition. Uh, so they continue to kind of like create space and uplift the voices of people that you don't traditionally see in the publication world uh, that don't maybe traditionally come, you know, that are traditionally excluded from like, you know, lit mags and things like that. Um, and you've kind of continued that Uh, process, you've continued that mission in uh, creating and co-founding Infrarrealista Review. Uh, So I I think, first of all, what what is, like, I want to know, so it borrows its name from this avant-garde literary movement in Mexico City that came out of Mexico City. So can you talk a little bit about, like, what that movement was and, like, why you felt like you wanted to tie this uh, literary magazine to the mission of that movement?
1: Yeah. Um, so, um, the Infrarrealistas were a group avant-garde um, in Mexico. So, like, part of that group was, like, um, Roberto Bolaño. He was, like, probably the most famous member of the group. And um, I think it was last summer. No, it was two summers ago. I was reading, like, Savage Detectives. And I, like, really did not know anything about him or the movement or anything. And um, my friend Juania was into like, she like knows a lot more about like Mexican history and like literature. And so she d- told me like who the infra releases were and she was like, oh my gosh, like there's this group. And like, we were like trying to come up with an idea for like a journal because um, like all of the stuff kind of like um, when you mentioned Rooster, like what the ideas of like Texas are are like rooted in just like cowboys or like Western where. And same with like the whole Southwest region. Like when people think of Southwest, they think like um, McMurtry, and they think of like just like desert and like like what like spaghetti Western movie. That's the kind of mythology of it. And that's just like totally. I mean, that's like one very small part of it. Um, and so we were like, oh, like well, we should do something about like the Southwest, maybe like a journal, like to like kind of fight push back against that narrative. And then we kind of narrowed it more down to like Texas. And now it's like to a point where it's, it's like predominantly Central Texas focused um, because that's the people we can like connect to and like reach out to. Um, but it's like for all people like in Texas, um, we like, you know, won't turn to like people down that want to submit from other like regions and stuff. Um, and so the movement like they were like very, um, very avant-garde, and they like were kind. Cu- they were against like mainstream poetry, um, like academic poets, um, poets that were like Octavio Paz. I think they were like super anti-Octavio. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they would like show up to like, lit- uh, like readings or like um, literary events, and like do like basically like a direct action, like just like. Start protesting and like shouting things or like throwing things and stuff. It was like very just like punk rock. And we like that like disruption because that's how we were feeling about like the MFA and just thinking about like, um, like literary journals that, um, and like agents now, mostly which are like run by like I want to say like 90%, um, like white folks, especially men, I think makes up like most of that percentage and like. Um, In recent years, there's been, like, so many prominent and famous um, emerging poets um, that are people of color. So, like, Dinesh Smith, um, Hanifa Duraquib, all of these poets that are, like, kind of making poetry more popular again. Um, And, like, there's, I've seen this, like, move that, like, journals and, like, um, publishers have of, like, we encourage like um, uh, POC to submit like highly and women and, like a list all these identities, right? And it's great that they wanna like do that, but like, do they compensate them? Like, are they are you getting paid for that? And also it feels like a little predatory. Like it feels like they would just want you to submit because they wanna like be like, oh, we've published like 55 like um, black poets in the past year. like we're okay, like we're exempt from yeah. this, you know? Um, mm-hmm. And that's like, you know, maybe not across the board, there may be like, I'm sure there's like genuine um, reviews and like journals that do want those voices, but like the bigger publishers, I just like have an inherent distrust, right? Cause they're like all about the trends, all about like trying to keep up with like what's new. And so we were like, okay, let's like, well, we're both, you know, me and Wania both ha- like have MFAs, which like, um, is like a big privilege that like a lot of other writers don't have um so we were like wanting to do like have that kind of elevated quote unquote um voice or like people that you know have had that experience we we like love writing by people that have mfas or phds etc but we also want people that like have dropped out of high school or that like Don't consider themselves a poet like we want both of those texts in conversation with each other because a lot of times like when like speaking as someone who worked on a academic journal um people just like look at your like credentials like in your bio like i you know so and so got their mfa from this place and we're published in like three these like three big journals right like that's basically what the bio is about. Um, it's like, okay, well, what, which like institution can I like tie my name to? And we Mm -hmm. just like, did not like that. We were like very, made us feel very cynical. And so we just wanted to do something about that. Um, and so we kind of just, um, we wanted to have a place where, you know, we don't look at them. We don't want to know like the bio. We don't want to like, know what associations you have to the institution like and we want to compensate you for like your work and encourage others to compensate you as well so that's why we kind of went about it and like that tie to the infra release does like it feels like we're just kind of um i don't know kind of mimicking what they did like we like having that like tie to um like Mexican writers of the past and also brings awareness, like of that group too, to people who like don't know, which is cool. Yeah. Um, Cause I had no idea until like, you know, two years ago. So um, yeah, that's like why we kind of took the name and use that for our whole like mission and idea.
2: Love it. Yeah. I, I think it's it's important that you are creating these platforms. Um, because I guess it's, it's like a two-part question. But first part is essentially like whether or not you agree with it. Because I personally feel like I'm seeing a lot of like Mexican American and Latinx poets like producing work. But I guess my question is like, do you think that's true? And then second is sort of like, do you think that it's um, that we're still getting more visibility out of it? Because that's mm-hmm. where I don't know if I necessarily agree with that.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I agree that there is like a lot more. Um, especially like I feel like if you're connected to Twitter, you like see that a lot more with like people getting book deals and like um like awards, right? Um, but it's like I feel like it's also important, like it's great that all of those people are getting published now, but I also feel like we need to look at like the past and kind of recover those texts that haven't mm-hmm. gotten their due. Mm-hmm. Um maybe like republish their work or like, you know, make a beautiful like second edition or translate their work. Like um, that's something that we want to do with Infrarrelista that Juania wants to do, just like kind of solicit Mexican writers or like people living here that are um, bilingual or only Spanish speaking and translate their work and also have it in Spanish Um, because there's just like so much that I feel like is not visible. poets that like need to just like, like maybe don't know anything about like the how to navigate the publishing like atmosphere, because I mean, really, even if you have an MFA, they don't really teach you about that stuff. Like you have to like really like seek it out on your own or like know people. Um, So like getting like those older poets, like I think emerging poets are great. That's also like usually synonymous with like younger poets and that's like awesome. I love like the youth and like younger poets coming out with stuff, but we also have to think of like our elders who have like, you know, written poems for their whole life and maybe haven't like published them or like have to published, but like it's out of print. Um, so I think like kind of recovering that stuff is really crucial mm-hmm. to and not letting it just like sit in an archive or like being it uh letting it be like a footnote. But like Prominently like displaying it and advocating for it is like I feel like really important like work that needs to be done 100%.
0: 100%. I love that and, and speaking of Latinx writers, uh, we have a fantastic question from Victoria Valenzuela uh, In the comments about can you talk about what uh, Chicano Chicano Chicanex uh, Writers your champ you champion and uh, who have you uh, been reading lately?
1: Okay, so um, Victoria is actually an incredible uh, San Antonio poet herself. She and is. And <laughs> as well, like poet power couple goals, honestly. Um, <laughs> so they're amazing. Um, Vincent's book that came out on um, San Samoa, I got to like read and also watch him read. And it was an incredible experience um, in Austin, I think like two years ago. Um, there's also I, both of y'all are incredible poets. Um, Thank you. I've seen both of y'all perform and it's just like it's like the way that you can captivate an audience is just like very otherworldly and beautiful. Um Amalia Ortiz is oh, yeah. incredible, amazing. Uh-huh. And every time I see like her performance, I'm just like, how? Um
2: she's but- so little, but she just like <laughs> is, no.
1: speaking of powerhouse, yeah. Amalia. <laughs> I know, I know. Um Victoria, um, I think her, I don't know her like married name now, but Zapata Klein, um, amazing poet. Um, my friend, Melanie Christine Robinson, I'm like waiting for her manuscript to come out any day because her poems are incredible. Um, those are like the ones that I can think of off the top of my head. I'm There's like so many <laughs> that I feel like I need, I need like a Rolodex to pull out where I can just like look at the list, but Yeah, I mean, there's like such a rich history here, Um, especially during like poetry month, you kind of see like everyone kind of just like come out and like read and it's just like, it's just wonderful.
2: Totally. And I think the one of the things that I love specifically about living in San Antonio is not only is there like a wide swath of uh, Chicana, Chicanx uh, writers, but also like, so many different subject matter, because I think something you mentioned about like how you're distrustful of the publishing world, like I 100% agree and they just did like a study on it that was like 95, 99% of it was still white run and and Mm -hmm. so on, publishing majority white authors. You had like the American dirt sort of controversy and things like that, where, you know, sometimes it's like, I don't like looking at most mainstream media or most mainstream publishing because it's kind of still this regurgitated uh, uh, throwback to stereotypes and, you know, it's borders and tortillas and this and that, mm-hmm. Where mm-hmm. <laughs> we get to see so much difference and like going, I kind of wanted to talk specifically about you and pop culture and how that plays mm-hmm. into, I love pop culture and it plays a lot into my work. And I think it's sort of a newer, like we always talk about resquatch in like, in, in San Antonio art for one. Mm-hmm. Uh, but. It's really prominent in poetry too. And I just kind of wanted to know like your thoughts on how pop culture, American pop culture and San Antonio, South Texas, Mexicano life just come together.
1: Yeah, um, yeah, I love that you mentioned it because I like use that as one of my main texts in my comps exam because I want it like, I've always heard about it in the context of art. Um, that's like what's mentioned in the original essay, but I wanted to like I was like, well, what would like a Rasquatcha poetics look like? Like, what does that kind of entail? And so I looked at um, Loose Woman by Sandra Cisneros and like how she kind of plays with language in these like high and low ways, um, and I kind of just love that like that use of like like slang, but alongside like um, just like a very beautiful image of something. Um, and so I think in like my own poetics, pop culture has just always been my point of connection, I think, with other people. Um, <laughs> I think uh, also like being in the MFA with like all those uh, East Coast and Midwestern um, men, I would just, you know, be like, okay, so, um, you know, tell me about like, do you like slint? Do you like American football? Like, tell me about it. Um, and they'd be like, what? Like, you know them? And I'd be like, yes, of course I do. Um, so like, I don't I just like love, I mean, I've, I've just always loved looking at um, how like art kind of intersects with like other parts of life. So like like in movies, like the music that's used or like um, the like, what's like on the bedroom walls of like the characters, like kind of like, it. it I feel like it always just kind of reflects their like internal like, state or, like, what kind of person they are. And, like, I've, you know, I think I've grown up from being, like, oh, like, my identity is so rooted in, like, what I like. Um, but I still am, like, a believer in, like, you know, what you like does reflect a little about, like, who you are and what you value. Um, and I'm not going to judge you for it, maybe. Um, I'm not 18 anymore. <laughs> no, I'm judge. It depends. It depends. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, uh, so I think like in the in my poetry, like it comes out because I want it to like, I try to see like the poem as like a little like bedroom kind of like a scene in a movie where it's like, okay, like what music would be playing. And also like what's true to my experience, like what song is actually playing at the time, even if it was like a Los Lonely Boy song, it's gonna go in. Mm-hmm. Um, that's authentic to my experience mm-hmm. and I totally like what you said Rooster about like um, I think it was like, like the mainstream stuff with like I think about that all the time and I'm curious what y'all think about it like um, kind of like the imagery that I feel like a lot of um, Chicanos, Chicanexes, kind of like hold on to um, and that comes out again and again uh, is like like Pan Dulce, Loteria, no, right.
0: <laughs> um, La Virgen, yeah, la virgen. La virgen.
1: Um, yeah, like, like those things are even like a lot of food brands too, like, like, so it'll be like Haritos um, or have Cheetos or um, mm-hmm. stuff like that, um, a lot of times it's like brands as well, and I'm just like, mm-hmm. it's like a very easy point of connection, because you know, like, if you read a poem about, like, say um people are gonna relate to it. Um, and I and like I don't and it's like I think our history is so like I think fraught that we have like very little point of connections because our experiences are so different that like we hold on to those things sometimes and like reference those things as a way to connect. Um, um but I don't know, like I still, it's not like my favorite thing either. Like, I don't know if I would use it in my work um, unless I felt like authentic to like what I'm actually talking about. But um, I'm curious, like, what do y'all think about that? Like that whole, well, there is
0: that idea of like, you know, the the authenticness, right? And the, and the mm-hmm. referencing of things that make it, uh, you mentioned it earlier, I'm paraphrasing, but uh, the personal becomes universal, right? The more personal you get in your writing, the more you're able to connect with people, even if they don't get the specific reference. And I think for so long, people outside of, it, at least in this country, mainstream white America, we were told if we don't get the reference, we need to go look it up. We weren't telling authors that they're alienating non white people mm-hmm. by including these references. So I think we're at that point of flipping the script where it's like, well, if you don't get the reference, you need to go look it up, motherfucker. Okay. Mm-hmm. Like <laughs> we've been doing the work for so long. Now it's your turn to do some work. And these, you know, images of like, let's, let's take the pandulce. I love that you bring that up, right? Is something that at some point in time, White people had to go look up what dulce was, but now it's become so commercialized that the that they don't anymore, and this culture has now become the commercial of it, right? And this kind of like two D image of what uh, the Latinx experience is, you know. So I guess I mean, I I'll let I I'll let Rooster answer. Because my brain is 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 spiraling around a question that there's a lot happening. But, yes, that's my point. It's it's y'all's turn to go yeah. look it up, okay? Go look up yeah. these references. If you don't get yeah. it, too fucking bad. Um, I
2: completely agree with what both of y'all are saying. I also think two things. One, living in San Antonio, the thing that I love is, like, if you go to a bar like El Luchador, like, they have emo nights where they're playing, like, The Cure and The Smiths and the shit like that, and we get down. And it's cool, but it's like, you know, like, but to write a poem about that, I think would really register for people who live here and especially younger people who live here. Mm-hmm. And and I think it's important that we actually capture like capture that authentic uh, uh times and 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 situations. I really, really love your your metaphor of like a, a room and like full of posters and what it looks like um for that very reason. Uh but I also think, I don't know, maybe it's the Catholic guilt in me where like you still want to impress your mom and your abuelitas and stuff. So you still kind of put those like the concha and the cafecito and you know, the warm comal in your work. So that it's like, hey mijo, you're writing the poems, I see. <laughs> you know, and it's like, so I think there's some of that, but then also with white audiences, they, like be said, is it's this 2 D version of of, of us and, and and the cultura that they kind of can, that's palatable. Um, and for my own personal experience, like I spent a lot of formative years in Central Texas, which was like really country. And I was one of the only Mexican people there. So when I moved back to San Antonio, like all the homies were like, you're weird. You're not like us. And it, so it was like, but I had to kind of check my them and myself, like, but that doesn't mean that I'm not Mexican, you know? Like, I'm sorry, I like Wu-Tang Clan. Like, I'm gonna write about it or I'm gonna se- tell y'all about it. Like, that's just, mm-hmm. that was my life, so, mm-hmm. you know. So,
0: so I think it comes to this point of like what, what you were saying where like cultural and life and art all end up mixing together, right? You know, mm-hmm. these references that, that we use, we use them because they, they are authentic, you know, or at least at some point they were very authentic to where like now we use them as a way to, to connect, right? But then they end up becoming co-opted, uh, mm-hmm. by mainstream media, they end up, you know, like I'm I'm looking at a painting of Frida Kahlo right now where, you know, like Frida is this iconic Mexican symbol, but to a certain extent, she has also been kind of gentrified uh, mm-hmm. by mainstream American culture as like the Mexican artist,
1: mm-hmm.
0: right? And it, it causes a kind of erasure of everyone that's not Frida Kahlo, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I guess the question is can can the commercial world and the art world live with authentic culture, right? Can can you do good business without gentrifying the culture? You know, can you celebrate it without commercializing it?
1: Mm, yeah. I feel like those are all like amazing plays. I could like talk about this with y'all for like another two hours. Um, like, we could talk about, It's your, um, it's your show girl. <laughs> yes, it's your show. Um, I mean, I think Freda is like a really good example because um, she's kind of a symbol herself of like, she grew up like, fairly, like, wealthy and, like, privileged in some ways, but also, like, um, embraced and, like, was kind of, I think, like, Diego kind of, I don't know if you forced her, but, like, very much encouraged her to wear, like, in these, like, um, like, indigenous outfits, right? And that's kind of, like, symbolic of how, like, a lot of Chicanos, especially during the Chicano movement, kind of, like, fit into their own identity. It was like, okay, we're going to, like, reclaim the Aztec culture and, like, all of that, like, those motifs, even though, like, you know, they don't know if they're actually Aztec or not, probably not. Um, But it was, like, a symbol of, like, kind of rejecting, like, the white and embracing the, like, indigenous. Um, And so, I like, I think, like, it's really hard to have those coexist because, like, a lot of those, like, the concha, the, like, tacos, the... Um, Selena, like they're all very, I would say to like white audiences, those are all very like apolitical things. So they could see those things and be like, oh, like, you know, that's like a great, beautiful poem about um, her culture, her heritage, um, good for her. But it doesn't like threaten anything. And not to say that like every poem like has to Systematically change anything. I think that's a huge pressure that people put onto poets in particular, um, more so than like anyone, any other like ar- like artist. It seems like poets are like for like very much like encouraged to like change the world or society in some way. Um, and so I think like it's easy, like that kind of imagery is easy, and that's like a really good point too um, that you mentioned Rister about like the Catholic guilt thing too, because it's like your elder, like your your, your Thea's or your like mom um, will like easily relate to that. And like, it's a nice poem because it's, you know, again, it's like very non-threatening. It's not political. It's like very just, it's nice. It's a nice poem. Um, so I don't like, and like we mentioned most like publishers, agents are, are white. And so if they see those poems, they're gonna be like, oh, that's great. Like we'll publish your book. Um, Or on the other end, they want, like, all political, all, like, trauma porn, basically, um, about your racism, uh, racist experiences, and all of that. Um, And so it's, like, it's, again, it's that experience of, like, am I, like, catering to, like, a white audience by, like, putting this all out there? Like, it's kind of, you have to, like, do that internal work of, like, okay, like, what do I, like, what reader do I want? to read this? Like, who am I writing this for? Um, And if it's, like, for a white audience, then it's gonna, like, want those things out there, because you're gonna want to, like, say, like, I am, like, the other, and here are, like, the things that I'm gonna mention, and, like, the, you know, even if it isn't authentic to your experience, like, that's a lot of, like, what I did, I feel like, when I first started writing in the MFA program, I was, like, okay, like, I'm representing, like, a whole Culture, and so, like, I'm gonna write about these things, even though they weren't really true to what I actually lived through. So, it's uh, it's just weird and hard. Um, and like, it's I love poets like Ada Limon, who like write America. mostly just like eco poems and stuff, right? And she's Mexican American, she has like maybe one or two, like, I guess, cultural poems in her books. Um, but like, ultimately. Um, all of her poems like are Mexican poems. Like, I don't think there's a distinction between, you know, oh, this is like, she's writing about flowers. This is like a white poem. And like, oh, she's writing about her culture. (laughs) She became Mexican, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And I've heard that like criticism before. I think there was like someone in the MFA program when Ross Gay came and they're like, oh, I'm so glad. Like he read all like those poems about, you know, like his garden and stuff. And, you know, he didn't, you know, write at you didn't have to write about like being black or like something like that. Um and mm-hmm. um it's like no like why does it have to be separate? Like why are those mm-hmm. things seen like why is a garden seen as like a a white activity? Like you're it's still a black man doing it. Like mm-hmm. it's just it's just crazy how like people kind of compartmentalize those things into you know I guess like one or the other. Um and like same with our identities too, right? Like if you like Wu Tang Clan or if you like um uh, Bell and Sebastian, then you're gonna be seen as like a um, you know into like white music and <laughs> not authentic or whatever that means.
2: Shout out to Bell and Sebastian.
0: Yeah, <laughs> shout out because I in my head I was thinking Britney Spears, but Bell and Sebastian is such <laughs> a better example. That's you. Such. That's you. <laughs> Yeah. No, you you are so right. Um, and so I think I wanna. I wanna thank you for being someone who who celebrates and who champions the true authentic experience of who you are and not who you've been pigeonholed into being. Um, because yeah, very much to your point, like especially when you're in these very, very white spaces, uh, you kind of feel the burden of like, well, I'm the only brown person here. I have to write poems about the brown experience because if I don't, no one else will, right? Mm-hmm. And everything you experience, whatever it is is the brown experience is the latin nexus experience right uh because they're you're experiencing them through your lens your point of view your history your culture your places so thank you uh for that uh and uh the the wonderful work that you have put out there and the spaces that you continue to create for people to put their work out there so much props to you um it would be our pleasure and in honor if you could close us out with one more poem
1: yes of course i'd love to okay i'm gonna read a poem titled the summer after i sat by the river with friends in late may reading poems and sending baby's breath downstream In June, I spent my nights walking by kissing Alley, trying to forget my memories like a loose tooth. By July, I spiraled into a summer of drinking out of so many small straws, while a sample of I Like It Like That echoed in every bar, reminding me that I am still somehow here, here with Sterling and Melanie staring at walls of sight wombly splotches that kind of look like pansies, here in the humidity where I watched the bartender smash mint, here outside of someone's apartment, my back against the patio fencing, feeling the heavy bass of a mysterious song reverberate while the sky looks like a broken disco ball, here at my apartment in mid-August sprawling out on my mattress. Feeling night swirl inside me like a snow globe. Everything feels urgent, and I'm not sure why. A heavy sigh propels my heart forward. Every moment, a pinwheel of light. Thank you.
0: And somehow I'm still here. (laughs) God damn! <laughs> I love it. Thank you so much for sharing your work, sharing your time, and sharing, sharing your story with us. Um, I know we have some of the information displayed on the screen, but for anybody that's listening to the um, podcast afterwards, where can people find you? Where can people find your work? If they want to get a copy of your book, tell us please, where can people go and access all of that?
1: Yeah. So I, um, you can find me on instagram at mexico i um post all my playlists and other things there um you can find me on my so i have a website claudia delfina cardona that's where all of my published work is um and other things as well. My portfolio, if you're into that, if you want to hire me, maybe. Um, and if you're special and lucky, then maybe I'll let you follow my Twitter. You have to request me, um, <laughs> it's Aries Poem. <laughs> um, it's a very private group of people, but we'll see. We'll see. <laughs> um, I think that's about it. Oh, um, my book too, um, you can buy it at um, hostpublications.com buy it there they do an amazing job check out their other chapbooks as well incredible stuff
0: yeah oh my god and we didn't even get into the fact that you you also de- you mentioned your place you also dj and you have a podcast where you talk about movies
1: i do i haven't like updated it since like last summer because that's it was like a pandemic podcast i was like man am i going to be one of those people that starts a podcast during the pandemic and it happened um <laughs> with me and my friend Clint. Um, And I hope we continue that again in the summer once the semester is out, but yeah, I love movies. I I don't have any like DJ gear, like officially, but I am in the, I am wanting to get some and eventually DJ something in the post pandemic world. I would love to, Um, in the meantime, I'm just making playlists on my Spotify, yeah. (laughs)
2: Very cool, very cool. Thank you so much for being with us again. Uh, best of luck on the book and, getting, so uh, and having an, uh, a release, and we can all be there and it'll be awesome. Like a post, yeah. We'll make, can
1: karaoke?
0: Here. Well, yeah. Yes, karaoke. <laughs> all right. Clap, Everybody, thank you, thank you, thank you.
1: Thank you. Totally. Gilbert, how are you?
0: I am ruminating. I'm reminiscing. I am uh, uh, probably wanting some tequila now. As cliche as that sounds, it's authentic. That's my true authentic experience. <laughs> what are What are your thoughts? We went through so much, and like, like she said, like we probably could have gone for another two hours. Oh, easy. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. Um, something that stood out to me just sort of in this kind of idea of reflection uh, was one of the last things that, that, that Cloud mentioned, which was um, weird and hard. And I feel like that's a great um, way of just sort of describing this new era of poetry life. Where a lot of things are online, you're your own marketer, you're your own publicist, you're, you know, and 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 I love that Claude not only is using small independent presses like Host, but also creating platforms and has been creating platforms. Um, and and the mission is great, but it's 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 definitely a thankless job at times, uh, and it's always weird and hard because you're always like, I love this, it's very difficult. Why do I continue to do this? <laughs> Why am
0: I putting myself through all this? I'm still here. <laughs> yeah. Because, yeah, you are uh, wearing all the hats these days. You're wearing all the fucking hats. Editor and producer and promoter and marketer and graphic designer and all of it. So uh, much, much appreciation, I think, uh, is, is due to the... Producers, promoters, editors who have continued to create spaces for people, uh, especially in this pandemic time, uh, because their, their job got so much harder so fast and had to pivot so quickly um, to try and continue to either uh, create the space that they had before or um allow the space that they were in the process of creating to flourish when the world shut down you know so Absolutely so uh, thank you to all promoters, editors uh, and producers out there for doing the work. Um, thank you also to our audience who tuned in tonight who had some really great questions and really great comments and love. Uh, we appreciate you you are part of this show. This is why we continue to do a live show as well as put it out on a podcast form because we believe that you are in conversation with the art. Art does not exist without an audience uh, and we appreciate you being here part of us part of this. Thank you to our production assistant Dominique and to Chris Conde for uh, producing our intro music.
2: Absolutely, and be sure to follow us on IG and Twitter at Words and Yeah, you can find us on most socials. Write uh, Art Out Inc. on Facebook as well.
0: And uh, whether or not this is your first time joining us, know that y- all of our episodes are available on our YouTube page, Words and Shit, uh, or if you prefer to just listen, because we are both avid podcast aficionados, nice. love to just put on the headphones and listen to podcasts while doing all the things at home, going for a run. I don't run. He's the runner. Uh, <laughs> so you can find uh, all of our past episodes wherever you get your podcast. That's Words and Shit. Wherever you get your podcasts, so.
2: And be sure to come back next week, same time, same place, for our next feature on Tuesday, April 22nd. Who is Chibi? Bam, bam, bam,
0: bam, Akeem Olaj. Akeem Olaj,
2: a prolific poet from New Orleans, now by way of Austin, now by way of the universe. And
0: just really and one of the last um, individual World Poetry Slam champions.
2: Yes, 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 yes.
0: Yes, Yes, he was. So he will be with us next week. Uh, Tune in then. uh, Tune in every Thursday, 730 Central Standard Time. We are here. We've got a few more episodes to come uh, before the end of our season. So we hope to see you again. Until then, y'all stay safe out there.
2: Peace, y'all.